three, two, one. Come on, Barbie. Let's go party. I'm Adam from Your Movie Sex. This is Sardonicast. Hello. Ah ha ha, yeah. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I'm Alex from... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Alex IHE. But that's not all. We have a special guest this episode. Do you want to introduce yourself, Jay? Hey, how, how's everyone doing? Thanks for having me. It's uh, Jay McCarroll here. Jay McCarroll of uh, Nirvana, the band, the show. You might know me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been doing some, uh, a lot of music stuff mm-hmm. the last mm. many years. Uh, I'm sort of, uh, I jump around. So how, how, how did you first, uh, get introduced to me, Adam? It was through Nirvana, the band, I guess, right? Yeah. So it was really weird. So at one point in time, the only thing that I'd seen from Matt Johnson was the dirties. And then one year at TIFF, which I think might've been the first year that I was at TIFF, I decided to get the uh, the closing night gala thing. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know, go to this weird party. And I saw him at the party. I was like, oh, hey, The Dirties, that was a good movie. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we started hanging out and uh, checked out other stuff as the years went by. So I'm not... Um, I'm not an OG Nirvana the Band the Show web series fan or anything. I haven't checked out all of that yet, but I do absolutely love Nirvana the Band the Show. That's my favorite thing that uh, you two have done together. So, well, well your your breakdown uh, review of it was, uh, I think the the best uh, the best review. Just that really in depth. The, the your movie sucks review you did of it was really great because it, you clearly. Um, had a, a deep understanding of what it is that we like about it too. And so it was fun. Well, it's always great when people say they, they love the show, but it, it's really great when somebody takes the time and just takes a full swing at trying to articulate sort of what makes it so fun in all of its weird complexities and strangeness. So, yeah. Thank you. Much love. Yeah, honestly, it's it's the it's the type of thing where you know, you you get more out of it on repeated watches, which is most media that I love. Right. You know, there's there's certain things where it's like, oh, I'm sure you could get more subtext out of it on a second watch, but the rewatchability alone, even without the subtext, is like it's such a funny show that the amount of people that I was showing it to, just because I wanted to watch it again or introduce it to another person, I, I started picking up on a few more things. I'm like, okay, there's something here. There's some fun stuff going on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's and fun. I I love the juxtaposition between the improvisational and like real life elements versus the elements that are very clearly planned out from the beginning. I think having those both coexisting in the same show is really fun. Yeah, we uh, we've always always done that from the from day one of our uh, web series. We started to understand what the currency of the show was, and it was that blurring of the of the seams between the real and the prepared Mm -hmm. and so both of you um probably do a fairly equal amount with the writing would you say or just curious well i mean like growing up i grew up with matt um and uh he the way we met was that he went to a different high school and his girlfriend went to my high school and he was kind of known at his high school for this guy that was saying well i want to be a filmmaker and I'm going to make some little films and he was running around with his camera. Um, and in my high school, I was, 
a class clown for sure, but mm -hmm. I was also known as the music guy who was saying like, I want to do music for movies when I grow up. And it was just fun that uh, his girlfriend set us up where she's like, you know, my my boyfriend is making a uh, his first feature, which was like, you know, just a complete nothing, <laughs> really small, How everybody starts. nothing feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A somewhere. very embarrassing feature, but we got, we kind of postured ourselves to be doing it the right way and, and got together for me to do the music for his movie. And then from then on, we sort of both just realized we have pretty much the same taste in so many things, so many mm -hmm. in movies and comedy. And so the, to answer your question, I've just been kind of like a, uh, a student to Matt's sort of film school that he's, he's just been a walking, he's got this film cinematic aura that he's always had with him since he was young. Like he's quite an exceptional guy, yeah, my buddy. Um, and so I, I've, I've learned quite a bit from him on that. And so we, we kind of grew together. Like when we started the web series, we were just writing together yeah, it was like both of us like writing and trying things out. But halfway through the web series, he kind of got his footing in terms of what his voice was. Mm -hmm. And so he started to really quarterback the operation. And that's just been the way it's been. And with Zapruder Films, the company, he just kind of plays, uh, you know, the leader and goal keeps everyone's ideas that just sort of flow upwards and it's a great system of just best idea and and nobody has nobody's ever really arguing creatively it's just a nice team of people that have the same goal in mind and we're all just sort of clamoring to get there but absolutely Matt is the I've always called him the quarterback mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah I've uh, I've always really appreciated how much advice he gives to to younger filmmakers we have quite a few uh, younger aspiring filmmakers in our audience that are always looking for good advice and uh something that I, I think i'll just parrot him saying is don't be afraid to try you know like your first feature is always going to be shit you, it's just the act of creating something can help you find your voice and mm -hmm. the the first step is just getting something out and then improving on it and if you're your own toughest critic then you can improve off of the first thing you make and then improve off the second thing you make. And then before you know it, eventually, you know, as long as you're being real about what you're missing or what you could improve on or what your voice should be, then you'll get great at it. And being careful not to have that mentality of you being your own toughest critic, which is, which is fine and mm -hmm. everything in, in, in one angle of it being like a healthy thing to help you. But as we saw with a lot of people growing up, um, people waited because they they were too afraid to yeah try True. and fail because yeah. they were they were smart like we knew we were we got a lot of we met a lot of people that like clearly had an understanding of what their voice was and kind of what they wanted to do they had great taste they only liked great things and so naturally they're at this really painful position of not knowing exactly how to execute something that's worthy of themselves mm -hmm. and so they don't try yeah you don't want that to prevent you from trying but you can escape all the like nobody's gonna remember your first five failures they're gonna remember you for that first success True. and then they will forgive everything mm -hmm. else like you're not going to be defined by that and especially for people in their 20s like you kind of want to 
slap them and be like, it's, this is not it. People yeah. can at age 30, like reinvent themselves, having learned everything they've learned and they thrive. So it's no point in really getting so swept up in yourself, and, you know, when, when you're figuring it out. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough thing to have to, uh, get past. And I think that everybody has that part of themselves that second guesses what they're creating and waiting for the right moment or for the right people or for the right situation when maybe getting to that point is just a matter of creating something first and then the right people will flock to you or the right opportunities will flock to you depending on you know what you do and how you've made it oh yeah so i'd like to talk about uh, i'd like to ask you about uh, your scoring for films you've scored uh, the Kid Detective, you've scored Blackberry. And those two examples are pretty uh, different in terms of the musical sound. And so I, I really appreciate the uh, the versatility that you have. When it comes to scoring something like uh, The Kid Detective, how many people were involved in that? How many instrumentalists did you have? How many instruments did you play? Did you do your own mixing and mastering? What was the process like? Um, yeah, I, I do it before I, I add any sort of... Um, overdubbed real instruments on a sort of MIDI mock-up. I, I do it all myself and, and work with um, the director to just get it all pretty much there, just all on my computer with a bunch of samples and everything. And over the years, I've collected enough great samples and knowing how to write for them and practice mixing with stuff where, where you can pretty much get a whole thing together just yourself. And then after that, it's just a matter of recognizing what's poking out as being maybe a bit fake. And in the case of Kid Detective, I hired uh, some string players to do a few overdubs of the strings I had, a, a flute player to do a bunch of real flourishy things that samples can't do, a horn player, all just separate things that were overdubbing stuff that already existed. Mm -hmm. I've never written where I'm like, you know, writing on score sheets and annotating things to then all of a sudden in a live scenario, hear it for the first time. It's the process is very much a grueling uh, trial and error of just moving and shifting and massaging hundreds of instruments all mm -hmm. at once and spinning a lot of plates and trying to keep a handle on what your whole sound is, like what the whole fabric of the movie is going to be and you know the gradient of dynamics and how this cue needs to have as much energy to set up for the next cue and this cue is a load bearing cue for this final cue and it is a lot it's a lot of spinning plates and for a lot of the process of film scoring you have, you have to really trust the process because mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like it's fully coming together until some eureka moments that you have with the director where all of a sudden you guys connect on something and that that's what it's really about it's about the relationship between you and the director and making sure that that vision is being fully uh realized from the both of you in your mind's eye and then through that all that trial and error and demoing stuff once you kind of get that set up then you're kind of home free and you're and it's a fun kind of race towards the finish because mm. you have everything set up but it, it has been a very interesting um switch of genres i did kid detective in 2021 or whatever and and uh blackberry came out and that was and kid detective was like a um 
a real like lustrous old fashioned Henry Mancini yeah. style thing. <laughs> Very fun to do. And, you know, finding new chords that I haven't even played before just through listening and absorbing some stuff was, it was a real pleasure, like hearing some stuff back there. I'm like, oh, I've never written anything like this before. It was, it was a, a very fun, proud moment to finish that one up. And then Blackberry is a completely different thing where all of a sudden I went full, fully synthesized and modem samples and beeps. And also the fact that the movie was a lot more of a narrow target to hit for how to weave the score in. Mm -hmm. It didn't really mm. lend itself to having the score kind of pop out ever. You mm -hmm. kind of wanted to hide it, yet it needed such an undercurrent. And so it was a bit of a, a tightrope where you had to sort of like keep energy and keep things pushing, but you could never really poke your head out, which is always the game of, of the score. Yeah, just to be complimentary towards the film rather than trying to <laughs> to get all of the attention. I loved those samples. I thought it was really clever with the uh, modem samples in the Black's Blackberry score. Yeah. Would you say that you're more ear-trained than by sheet music? Because uh, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm the type yeah. of person where, like, I you know, I understand sheet music. I can't, you know, maybe if I practiced hard enough and I was passionate enough about it, then I could actually play sheet music in the sense of, being able to do it in real time instead of just like staring at the notes and figuring it out and then playing it. I've always loved ear training in the sense that I feel like that's much, a much, it's like a sense almost. And I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of people on both sides of this where some people who are ear trained wish that they knew sheet music better. And there are some people that do sheet music that wish that they were more ear trained. How do you feel about that? I just haven't found that being like using any of the, a uh, theory that I did at some point learn and absorb. I did go to music school and kind of go through the whole rigorous theory and harmony training and studying complex, you know, jazz chords and movements and cadences and all this stuff. I just haven't been in a position where my ear is slower than what I could do with with the sheet music. The only time that I, that I've ever needed sheet music or, or, or just no, notation is usually when I'm using real players who kind of require it. Although even then, like when I was using all these, um, overdub players for kid detective, I would just send them the isolated track that I wanted them to, you know, overdo like the <clears throat> French horn. I'd give him a little line. It would be like, doo, doo, doo. and I'm like, can you do it where it does that French horn thing? It was like, doo, doo. Mm. and just kind of ask and just talk through like what it is that we're going for. And he would just use his ear too to just play. And, um, and Fung who did the flute, she was just fantastic. Cause I could just kind of say, just kind of go nuts over this part. <laughs> And she would just do tons of flourishes and then I'd be spoiled for choice of little pieces that I could just use to put in. But in terms of just, uh, yeah, I, I think nowadays when you need theory, I can, I can imagine if I ever get the, the luxury of going to orchestra with something. Mm -hmm. And I have for uh, just something recently, I did a, um, I wrote, wrote a song with a comedian, Jan Caruana for Andrew Fung of Kim's Convenience and Run the Burbs to sing at, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the guy from Kim's Convenience, lead guy. Forget his Paul name. Paul Sung Hyung. Paul Sung Hyung. And 
if I get that wrong, take this out. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he, he he received the Governor General's Award. Um, great dude. And so there was a song that was uh, going to be sung for him, a funny song. And I got to write it for orchestra. And I was like, oh, but I've never written for orchestra. I'll just do a mock-up. And yeah. then they, ha they had me set up with a orchestrator who took all my MIDI and just made it all for the orchestra and I heard the recording back and I was like this is amazing and he took tiny little liberties with little melodies and counterpoints and kind of cleaned up this and that and he kept this part that I liked and it was a little window into how fun it would be to you know have that whole process of a film score being ha having an orchestrator um, translate it to get it to that final orchestra awesomeness that sounds great so last time we, we had Matt Johnson on the podcast a while back and uh, it seems like it's been the case for forever. You know, Nirvana, the band season three, most of it was filmed and, you know, it's essentially done just looking for a place to release it because of some stupid red tape nonsense and fucking Vice Canada shutting down or whatever. Like, I don't even remember. <laughs> mm. It was like the network that it was on, yeah. even though the, you were greenlit, just <laughs> decided to not exist anymore. Um, mm -hmm. But I hear now that uh, you're doing a Nirvana the Band the Show movie. Yes. Which I'm obviously very excited for. It's official. That's awesome. That's awesome. So is, yeah. my my question is, is that how is that being released in relation to season three? Is there a chance of the movie being out before season three is available? Or I'm assuming everything that you filmed for the movie or that you're filming for the movie is all fresh stuff, or maybe is some of it some stuff from season three? Or what's uh, what? What can you tell us about that? I can say this: there has been a lot of uh, people answering each other's questions about where season three is and a lot of it's wrong and i don't know why they're kind of claiming that they know this like i'll read on some <laughs> comment somewhere they're like where's season three well they, it's all done apparently and <laughs> it's just because of vice that they can't do it and that's not entirely true we shot a lot of season three and the way that our seasons came together was very wild and chaotic like one episode would take about seven months to make we'd be stacking them but mm -hmm. it would it would be um a lot of reshoots and a lot of rewriting where we'd you know we'd shoot something and it would technically be done but we afforded ourselves the luxury of being able to watch back that first you know assembly of it that one of our editor editors would put together and we would we would rewrite it because that's kind of how we always got the show's writing to be up to par because it took a lot of swings at it. We'd have to just sort of be honest and say, oh, we didn't do this right. The motivation here is all wrong. Or like, oh, he should change by this point. Or, oh, wouldn't it be better if we kind of leaned into this word and had that kind of be the theme? Oh, yeah, then it kind of figures out the ending better. Like, there was so much honest critique that, we gave ourselves that we're, we know that so many other productions just don't work that way. Mm -hmm. They go and they shoot it, they shoot for the target and then they get it storyboard finish it. Yeah, it's pretty much storyboarded. So we had shot the first pass of about four episodes of what was going to be eight and got them to a point where really only like one or two of them is like kind of watchable and even then not 
in our minds presentable and to and and then at that point vice completely collapsed and we were left with nothing so we couldn't really continue and we couldn't really do it on our own or you know we couldn't raise the money that we needed to finish there were some things that again people are always very surprised how expensive the show was based on how it looked that was kind of like the the trick i guess mm-hmm. is that you have something that looks kind of cheap and effortless but th- there's actually a lot of really exciting things going on and and you know needle drops yeah <laughs> expensive stuff mm-hmm. but we have these pieces of season three and there's a lot of fun stuff and cameos and kind of big set pieces it's just that we haven't come close to being able to have the infrastructure to like finish it properly and so we haven't we've been waiting for the proper opportunity and while we were always keeping that shopping around there was also other things that were kind of coming up like blackberry was a movie that was kind of slowly coming down the pipe for years before we we had it fully made like there was a script that we were working on for a while so that happened and so we're just kind of hoping that you know the more we work and the more we're sort of out there uh doing things and just hopefully just getting some some leverage to then when the opportunity is right to keep nirvana the band going in this case it was a lot easier to get a movie going with the relationship we had with telefilm and that hopefully can just sort of keep the dream alive of what we are going to do with season three so mm-hmm. canonically like yeah it's it's gonna it's we're we're still kind of working out how that's gonna happen but it's we're we're constantly shifting we're not trying to rush anything out like we just want to do it right like we exactly. have all those good pieces mm-hmm. and so i know it's been years and i get messages and dms like almost daily from people that are like (laughs) what the hell dude like i don't i don't understand why and and i just don't have the heart i I started writing back to a lot of them and and i end up like kind of writing a whole huge long thing and it's very it's just not worth it (laughs) and so i I apologize to those people but i get that all the time there's there's projects of mine that it's like people are waiting for part six or part two or some other thing it's like Mm -hmm. i would rather it be done right you know it's Exactly. Art. You gotta. Yeah. You can't rush art. You gotta do it when you can, and uh, you don't want to do it in a way that you can't that that you're gonna regret the uh, product afterwards. Did I hear? Did I hear that uh, Vice released an unfinished episode at one point accidentally? Yeah, there was something. <laughs> there was a contractual agreement to deliver and air the first episode of season three, and this was like right kind of near nearing the end so there was some contractual agreement where we just had to by contract air this episode and there was no uh details around that and so we were still working on it and i can't remember why it was we'd done some shifting around of like how the budget was moved around and we kind of spilled it over into you know what? I'm not even going to try to explain this. This is like a question for sure. our producer, Matt Miller. <laughs> but um, he, uh, we just needed to, to contractually air it and just get it over with. And then we could still work on it somehow. So we aired it at like four in the morning on the Vice Network, just so we can kind of check that box. And it was basically, yeah, a rough cut. And it was a, uh, a flashback episode 
about a young Matt and Jay kind of becoming friends in high school. And, uh, and it was very touching. We had these two actors come in. We kind of did the whole thing in black and white, uh, kind of parodying uh, 400 Blows. Mm. And, mm. and we, we just kind of got, you know, indulgent with some, you know, filmmaking of it all and, and took some things from 400 Blows and, and gave it a bit of a, just a, a bit of an angle that, that just gave it a feeling. It didn't feel like comedy at all. But there are a lot of little funny parts in it. It could have used a lot of touching up. It still is in the state that we left it, which is just, you know, rough cut. Mm. Um, that's why nobody's seen it and why we're not rushing to get it out. So, but it's it's a really nice uh, little short film, pretty much, and it, and it it's uh, a lot of backstory to the to the guys. Yeah, I uh, I heard about that existing, but I never seeked it out or tried to find it because I I heard that it was unfinished. And I'm whenever people are like, "Hey, did you see this leak or this script or whatever?" I'm like, "I don't want to fucking read it. It's not finished. Like, what? It, what's the point of watching a leak? Like, I want to mm -hmm. see the finished product." So I know. Yeah. Anyway, fascinating stuff. Alex, did you have any questions for Jay? Yeah. No, I got, I got a couple. Um, going back to BlackBerry for a second. Um, I watched it a couple of weeks ago for the first time and right after it ended I was yeah I was really connecting with that soundtrack especially that track that plays in the end credits and I, was, I hopped onto Spotify to try and find it and I couldn't I couldn't see anything there's nothing oh I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to say that there is going to be an official soundtrack release yes. through Mondo Records nice um, vinyl and awesome vinyl yeah and I'm just kind of working on um assembling that right now I have to I have to kind of put it together because it's my first time doing a, a, a an actual soundtrack, and I'm and in BlackBerry, there's a lot of cues that are short or maybe mm -hmm. sometimes not really lending themselves to a, a full listen. So I'm just kind of melding mm. some things together. But yeah, it's it's all going to come out, and there's going to be some new tracks on there too because I'm sure you guys might have heard that it's also a TV series, like a mini series, a three part series. BlackBerry. Yeah, I did really? not hear that. It's, actually, so it's coming out in in the fall on, I believe, okay, uh, CBC and AMC or CBC and Hulu. But you'll you'll we'll hear about it, and it's been translated into three hour long episodes. So there's extra footage, and what's really interesting about this is that you're watching the movie again, but certain scenes will go longer, or you'll see a different angle, and you'll actually get more uh content and like info or insight into maybe what happened after the scene ended in the movie and there are some new ways that we handled some of the storylines and time jumping um so it, it complements the movie uh -huh. as sort of like an extra piece and there's a lot of new uh, music in it too because uh, we couldn't license it's a totally different thing to license uh, a lot of those needle drops for the tv miniseries so mm -hmm. i had to kind of go in there and make some new stuff and I can't wait actually to put that on the soundtrack because that, that's some of the better uh, BlackBerry score that actually didn't make the movie. So it made the TV series, but it's all going to be on the soundtrack. Any idea when that's coming out? That's going to, that's going to be out in the fall. I think uh, November. Awesome. Oh yeah. When I was uh, doing some research about some of the projects you worked on, I stumbled across that your band with your sister, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, yeah. Brave Shores. Um, yeah. And I was like, why does that ring a bell? Um, yeah, and I went on Spotify and was like, oh man, 
the the self-titled album I was, I was obsessed with that in 2014 awesome stuff i love that synth pop uh sound oh that's awesome yeah we yeah we uh that's a real i'll tell you really quickly just how funny of a era that was for us is that i was working mm. at a jingle writing house called eggplant collective and i was there for a little less than a year and i was you know just writing demos for uh commercial jingles and sold mm. a few you know did a ford commercial here or a cheerios thing there and, and it was just fun practice and the other compo in-house composers there were just awesome and they helped me like I, I was kind of new at like doing a lot of really quick turnaround stuff and a lot of just working the daw and little tricks from just moving around so many different genres mm. and these guys were amazing and we were all on like these office phones where we could just sort of like key into each other and, and just be like, how do I side compress again? Like doing this thing or, and it was so fun. But anyway, there was this commercial that um, Bell had where they hadn't uh, shot it yet. And they wanted to prepare with this, um, this music where they needed it to be um, like kind of electro poppy, like M83 or Iconopop yeah. thing. And, and it was for an underwater phone. And, and so I just had my sister come in just for fun. I'm like, hey, sing on this little uh, pop number I just wrote in the last 20 minutes while I was eating a sandwich. <laughs> and that song got picked and um, and people really liked it. And it was I, we were kind of having fun like going on the internet and seeing there were forums being like, what's the song? What band does that song from that commercial? And we were like, yeah, it's funny. We don't even have a band. It was just written for it. But then what happened was I got into a real thing with the jingle writing house because I was asking them like, what's the deal? Like if I want to make, put this on iTunes, what's our, our, our deal? Cause I never signed anything with them mm. and I was just kind of working without any contract. I was just being paid. And then they kind of came at me with this really unfavorable little just word document breakdown of what the deal was. And I was like, this doesn't really sound right. Like I, like I wrote the whole thing, like top to bottom. I know I did it in your company for the thing. So let's break it down. But like, this is really unfavorable to me and called a few managers that I knew. And they were like, Oh my God, what do you have? Anything? You don't have anything signed. They don't have any ownership at all. Nice. They kind of screwed themselves. <laughs> nice, yeah. And so I went back to them and I, and I kind of hat in hand, I wasn't going to, I wasn't, I didn't want to slam dunk anything on them. In fact, like I remember sending them a letter being like, you know, I kind of just want to renegotiate this. Maybe we can talk it out and giving them all the nice juicy, like I see a great future here and you know, just trying to do, do right. And these guys just fucking flipped on me. <laughs> I think it's because I kind of exposed to the other composers there that they were kind of running a bit of a operation that was a little bit um, prone to, to something like this happening. Yeah. They didn't mm -hmm. exactly want everybody to be armed with the knowledge that like, wait a second, they don't own anything. I could just take off with all my music. So mm -hmm. they fired me like Oops. gloriously. <laughs> and I was just like, and I felt so bad at first. And it was like a week later that uh, through a friend of a friend, A&R at Universal called and they're like, can we give you an advance to make a record and can you guys just like be a band and That's you know funny, called yeah. my sister and i was just like let's let's be a band <laughs> and so we're just totally opportunistic about it and then we had a that song on the radio and we coca-cola licensed it for a commercial and then we had another song on the radio we played way home and had a really nice run of doing some tours 
before ultimately my sister and I kind of decided like, I think we've had enough, you know, like <laughs> double it. We didn't want to exactly double down on all the time we were spending with each other on this. Like, I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. have any siblings, but it, it's tough to work with them. Yeah, um, but we, we totally survived. She's the best, but we, we, we just sort of saw that, that band through and we're still thinking about getting together to maybe just to at least finish some other demos that were great that we just never released. Mm -hmm. But oh, I appreciate yeah. Alex that you, that you liked that, that album. That was, yeah, that was, was a like, good time. Yeah. Cause it, there's not that much info, um, as far as like putting all the strings together. No, I went on Spotify and was looking and I saw like your picture on there. <laughs> now, did you see what happened with us on YouTube? No. This no, is really this is really interesting. Donald Trump. I know this. <laughs> you know this, right? Yes, Donald yeah. Trump uh gets there's this video that's posted of him dancing to that like hotline bling thing where he's like all in the color yeah, yeah. thing. So he's dancing to that and our song, Never Come Down, is playing, and they've kind of overdubbed just before the chorus, we're going to make this country great again. <laughs> and it kind of lands. It's just this big <laughs> celebratory thing. And I remember I, I went on our Facebook group, and I typed from Brave Shores and, and sh shared the video and, and said, wow, seeing Trump in a whole new light now. Joke. <laughs> and then we, uh, we kind of like we're discussing it and a lot of, and there, the video was just getting hundreds of thousands of views and climbing and climbing and people were loving the song. It was like the top song of the, what did he have? The, there's like the Donald Reddit, subreddit, yeah. subreddit page. Oh yeah. And yeah. So like, yeah, like it, it was just really popular as like his song that they co-opted and somehow I don't know if I think it might have been our manager at the time or somebody from our label took the video down, which was a huge mistake because mm -hmm. we looked like we took it down because we were butthurt about it. Mm. So people then kind of all these trolls like, and the real bad trolls too, like the real yeah. like. <laughs> we know, know. <laughs> it's, it's actually hard to, yeah, to even be insulted by them because they they say stuff and you're like how are you not embarrassed of your of your own self for saying yeah, this sort yeah, of stuff yeah. but um they started thinking that we were all running away from it but that's that was a unfortunate stain on the brave shores story but i wish that we kind of had more fun with it i mean my my philosophy was that like i never cared at all like I'm really of the philosophy that music is is free for everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly mm -hmm. I'm I am no Republican by any means, and I do not like those specific trolley Trump cultists. But yeah. uh, but they're allowed to listen to this to the song and use it to dance around in a big Trump circle with each other. Go nuts! <laughs> like that makes me really happy, and plus it pays me. So like, what do I care? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's free advertising. Huh? Music is free. Yeah. There's there's been a history of uh, people at the top uh, of licensing and ownership not understanding the benefit of meme culture, like that uh, shooting stars the bag raiders meme. Like they were taking down every yeah, single yeah. video. I'm like, this is why people know the song right now. Like you can't just you're, you're taking down all these memes. Like you're you're getting money because like at this point in time now artists and labels will request for their songs to be put in TikTok videos, knowing that it'll help to promote the track. Uh, but yeah, there's totally. been a weird history of, of 
yeah, people just not understanding like, okay, you, you know, you're making you're making money. Like, what do you not want to make money off of this? Like, I don't know. Anyway, I, I think that's hilarious that you uh, inadvertently uh, made a Trump anthem. And <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you can claim <laughs> uh, responsibility for uh, the 2016 election results is what you're saying, right? Maybe. I think I, think I helped make America great again. There we have it. <laughs> there, there we have it. Cut that out. Sure. <laughs> and I'm totally, I'm totally joking though. You okay. Leave it. In. <laughs> all right. We all saw Barbie, a record-breaking. What, what do we call this? It's a, it's a cultural event film, uh, one that you don't see often, and uh, no. people are going to the movie in pink. Jay, I know you saw it recently. It wasn't at the like near the premiere or anything. Were people dressing up in pink at your screening still, or are people still doing? No, that? I saw it. I saw it like pretty much in a completely empty theater. Were you wearing pink? I was wearing pink. Yes, I, I did actually have a a, a salmon shirt on. Mm. So I think I don't know if that counts. It's it's the hot pink that really is the Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> There's an attempt. As long as you try. But it, what a, you're right, like such a cultural phenomenon. And to, uh, coupled with the whole Barbenheimer thing, you could, I could so easily just eye roll at the internet, just doing a big pile on a, a real mediocre joke in a way. But like, I mm-hmm. kind of love it just because it's celebrating cinema and it's and Mm -hmm. everybody's excited to go to the movies and everyone's just going to the movies and what's better than that exactly the movies are back thanks barbie they are and they're both so different and they're both so good in like completely different ways yeah what did what did you think of the movie i i i really enjoyed it i kind of was expecting i still don't even really know what the any sort of like controversy is or how some people are getting a bit kind of on the back foot about yeah but heard about certain <laughs> you know just political stuff and or the way they took aim at men you know what i mean but like it was very funny it was totally over the top and mm. you know like I, I don't know like it was all just it was it was great that wasn't the big part the biggest takeaway for me was just the sets mm-hmm. like the the filmmaking the, those huge sets and those big huge sound stages with the reflective floor that just goes back into infinity is like something you were not used to seeing mm-hmm. these days yeah great production design and done with such a like scalpel of 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 style it was very great i i it was just a feast for the eyes the criticisms that i've heard of people getting upset at the movie are both that it hates men and not only that but that it was lying in the marketing as if people as if they were tricked into seeing something that had like feminist messaging in it uh which is kind of a bizarre take because it's like okay well if you know who the filmmakers are (laughs) and like it's it's a barbie movie and obviously it's you know trying to uh market itself towards a female demographic too but i also feel like what's missing from this conversation is just how nuanced the movie was about it because it wasn't mm-hmm. an explicitly man-hating movie at all. It really wasn't. And, no. and it's it's kind of interesting seeing people's takeaways being that, or some people's at least, because 
it just it 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 kind of seems like they're duped at a certain point because you could only get that from the film if you're viewing it viewing it on a purely surface level but there's plenty of instances within the film and plenty of clues and you know sometimes pretty explicitly where they are giving a more nuanced take and they do call the patriarchy not something that like oh this is the the thing that exists that is hurting everyone there's a line in the film where they explicitly say like the the patriarchy could just be our explanation for how we feel about this and it you know maybe it's not real or and, and and it touched on not only toxic male behavior but also toxic female behavior and and you know the characters were empathetic and at the end of the day it wasn't trying to ref- reflect reality in a fucking slice of life drama this is a a very <laughs> non-serious uh very abs- intentionally absurdist comedy where even in the quote-unquote real world scenes there's no way it's trying to be the real world you have like the, yeah, the chase exactly. scene where they're like not really running and it's like okay this is like a tim and eric sketch like it's not (laughs) it's clearly not trying to suggest that that is reality and then you know ben shapiro will be like well it said that the ceos for barbie were all men but actually there's women in real life it's like that's not it it wasn't trying to be literal it was it was very clearly just doing that for the sake of the story and for the sake of the jokes and for the sake of the experience like it was a fun movie and and you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's very bizarre to imagine uh, just how offended some people got over it. But uh, here we are. Yeah, you can have fun, like kind of like I I haven't talked to any uh, pals about this where we haven't like laughed at that scene when they're in the real world and they're rollerblading down and they both look like so bright and hot mm-hmm. and then. Mm-hmm. And she's getting catcalls like, okay, yeah, yeah, they're doing this. But then they have that guy go up and fully smack her ass. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and then she punches him and she goes to jail. And it, that was sort of like a whoa. <laughs> we, it's a fun thing to laugh at because you just think about, you know, if they wanted to represent the real world there and a guy decided to slap the ass of that girl coming down Venice Beach, the amount of dudes that are just begging for an opportunity to beat a guy up who does mm-hmm. that because yeah. <laughs> you know most men actually are, are are begging to see that happen just so that yeah. they can beat somebody up <laughs> they're not begging to smack an ass they're, they're they want to just beat up that guy who smacks the ass yeah and and the film is not the film is clearly not suggesting that that's reality it's it's it's, it's such a very silly take away from it yeah it's um, comedy first and foremost you oh, know, the yeah. media the media literacy is man it, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing out there some of the places it can go yeah. um the, the way like this cultural stuff just bleeds into the way people talk about movies now is it's inevitable it really tiring at this point it is inevitable every yeah. every movie is political now <laughs> Just a few weeks ago, I saw this clip going around like a, on a YouTube short or a TikTok or whatever. It was like a clip from the movie. It was that gag where they both say Barbie and Ken, they've got like no genitals or something. Because obviously it's a, it's a joke on the fact that they're dolls. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the comments were just interpreting it a completely wrong way. Saying it's like, oh, everything is this trans thing now. And it's all... And it's wow. All, <laughs> clearly people who have not oh, seen yeah, the movie, yeah. like, okay, I guess they, okay. they maybe just go on the <laughs> Ben Shapiro review or... 
Like it, it, it's it's such a lightning rod. This movie. It's like it's hilarious to me that it's much more controversial than the the Nuke movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the non-political <laughs> Oppenheimer film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is very. That is very funny. It seems like such a bad faith way to engage with it because it is so over the top it is clearly a comedy first and foremost that is clearly the goal of the movie and it's like hilarious for that and yeah you just have to i don't know you gotta have to have horse blinders on to not to not see that it's like you know horse blinders (laughs) oh yeah movie had tons of horses in it fucking horse patriarchy over here (laughs) she's going up to bricklayers first i thought the world was run by horses But no, it's men here in the real world. When he realizes that it's a patriarchy and he has that montage yeah. where he turns into, you know, man man. That was very fun. And he goes to the um car dealership. What was the, what did the guy he said like you you can hire me, right? Cuz I'm a man. He's like, "Actually, it's kind of easier if, if you were a woman." It's like, "I thought aren't yeah. you doing the patriarchy?" He's like, "Yeah, I know we are. We are. We're just we're just hiding it better. <laughs> you were really I good thought at that was it. a pretty funny like <laughs> wink to awesome reality. One. Yeah, and it's all again it, like the the nuance is there, right? Like it, you can take away from that whatever you want to. Really, it's it's not it's not so explicitly just providing only one perspective and not understanding the other perspective. It's the very very nuanced film. Like it, the only the only part where it felt like a little weird was like the literal preaching scene. Where she was just, you know, she went on a monologue, the human female lead. And at that point, it was just oh, like, right. okay, whatever, you know, like people clapped at the end. I knew they were going to clap. But, you know, I'd, I'd imagine there are aspects to that monologue that probably felt pretty cathartic to some women watching. Yeah, I don't think that was dir- directed at us. You kind of just take that and you absorb it and you're like, yeah, okay. It was the character. I yeah. followed I followed it all. I really went in thinking that I was I was maybe going to, you know what I mean, have some thoughts about mm-hmm. it and be like, well, you know, maybe this is stirring yeah, yeah. the pot a little too much or maybe it's, you know, being provocative in its sort of messaging um, or, or like inst- instigating or whatever. Um, and I didn't find that at all, especially, especially at the end there when she's talking to the the original – inventor of barbie i forget her name but uh she kind of wraps it up in a way that kind of (laughs) i also forgot her name (laughs) she was from cheers yeah we should know her name i don't know (laughs) let's go to the live chat yeah (laughs) (laughs) i thought that the uh the ken song was oh hell yeah like that was my favorite part of the movie i got totally swept up in that and so catchy mixed and delivered really well, total like triple A uh, music treatment on that song. I think they had like Slash even playing the guitar on it. <laughs> Saw some BTS. Oh, cool. But uh, Gosling knocks it out of the park in that last yeah. um, part when he's on the soundstage with all the other men and they're kind of doing that, you know, musical when their voices all kind of come in as the chorus. I got that feeling of just, you know, when I'm. It's it's I'm not super into musicals, but there have been times when musicals do that thing where it all kind of everything kind of comes together and yeah. it's all winged out and and it's just doing that big big climax moment and I was getting shivers. I was like, this is so good. I love it. Yeah, and they didn't, you know, based on the rest of the movie and what it's going for, like they didn't they didn't even need to have a great song in there, but they put in the effort. I really think that Greta and Noah are, are both very talented people. I love their collaborations that they've made. 
And it's it's fascinating thinking about there was supposed to be an Amy Schumer version originally <laughs> that got canned. I was thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. What, what like would that, that have been? That would have sucked. That would have sucked hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Amy Schumer is pretty funny. Like, mm-hmm. or at least when her, when their her sketch show things come up on one of my you know videos or whatever, like I, I'll just all of a sudden come across one. They're always pretty fun. But uh, I don't know what the what the angle would have been because it would have been mm-hmm. different, obviously. I don't. I don't think she has the capacity to make something as nuanced and artful as this. That's just that might my be true. perspective. I feel like it would have been a lot more blatant and and the perhaps even the divisive nature that some are calling this movie would have been much more explicit in that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. That's very true. That would have been cuz she she's she's more of like a big like SNL energy like making mm-hmm. she would she would devolve it into like a sketch feeling. Yeah. Um and uh, Margot is was just great for it. Mhm. Yeah, great casting. Um, great performances. I agree. Ryan Gosling totally fucking stole the show. I I think he should yeah. be in more comedic roles. Honestly, it's crazy that for a while he was just typecast as this like stoic Blade Runner drive etc. character. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he kind of broke out of that again. Uh, he is in a few comedies now, but he's funny in the Nice Guys. Yeah. Well, which yeah. is interesting because do you know how he started? Was the Notebook? No, what he was started it? Was it a sitcom? on a, on like a kind of sitcom. It was like a kid teen sitcom about, I think it took place on like a boat or something, like a big cruise ship called like Breaker High maybe. And he played like this kind of wild, kind of goofy, funny, comedic relief character and he, who was like big and loud with his behavior. Mm-hmm. He was like the sort of like zany... Uh, wearing a lot of neon colors and big clothes, and he had he had big energy. Totally different than how he got typecast as stoic uh, Gosling. Yeah. yeah, and he does all of it well. He's very versatile, very versatile actor. No, he he was definitely one of the funniest parts to me. Like it, it's that delivery. Like he, he he's he's acting. <laughs> he believes he's Ken. You know, like yeah. he, <laughs> not for a second do you see him. He is Ken. Whereas like contrasting more to like Will Ferrell or Kate McKinnon. That does feel a bit more SNL-y sort of. You're totally right. They're like playing up a bit more where like, yeah, I think that's why Ken really stands out. He like, he totally steals the show. And just slightly going back to the the whole kind of like men-hating narrative it has, it's, I don't know, it's got like a pretty good message, I thought, uh, if you actually engage with the movie about like the way so many men use women for like validation and this kind of stuff and being Kenneth, that joke at the end is like really funny and like a good conclusion. So yeah, both these main characters get like pretty fleshed out arcs and yeah, sure the comedy's at the top, but yeah, there's like a a bunch of commentary. Um, yeah, I feel like it is not as simplistic as Men Bad. Yeah, not at yeah. all. And and even even within even within that aspect, there's an entire sequence of the film where the women are taking advantage of the men and, and just being like really yeah. insincere. And they were playing that song. Uh, fuck, what's the artist's name? Uh, that one that he was playing on guitar, like, I want to push you around. Oh, yeah. So the yeah. history of that song is pretty Matchbox interesting. Matchbox 20? Yeah, yeah. In the context of this film, because that was a song that when it came out and when it was popular on the radio, it was widely criticized for 
being like, oh, you want to push women around? But it turns out that the the actual that the song was written about him having experienced that from his girlfriend or from a female character represented in the song that is pushing him around. So it's actually kind of perfect for that song to be in this film because we're seeing the exact same sorts of misinterpretations of like, okay, which gender is being shown as the aggressor or the abuser or the manipulator here. It's really up to interpretation. And so I love that there's that nuanced layer within the movie of like even the song choices and how they're used. Like, don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. It's comedic and funny on its own. Uh, The way it's used in the film, even if you don't look into it or, or you're not aware of that subtext, it works fine. But that subtext being there is just another little clue, another little hint that, you know, maybe this maybe just don't judge the film on a purely surface level. Maybe it has a bit more mm-hmm. to say than just like, you know, just getting mad at it and just I feel I feel like there's a certain amount of people that uh, reacted in the way that they did to this movie because they kind of wanted to in a, in a sense. It, it, when I oh, say yeah. that, I mean, yeah, that's content. And some of these channels exist where the content is specifically only talking about like, oh, this is woke, right? Like Ben Shapiro has never talked about a movie that isn't <laughs> like what he would consider to be woke <laughs> or anti-woke, right? Like th- that's that's the entire uh, catalog of all of his film criticisms. And so he went to see the Barbie movie pretty much knowing exactly what sort of narrative he wanted to come out of it with. I don't think he's ever gone and watched a movie and been like, oh, actually, you know, it was a bit more nuanced. Like, I don't think he's capable of that. And even if even if he did think that, I don't think he would say it sort of thing. Yeah, the conclusions are made before it's even been watched. You know, you can imagine he's really probably made the notes. That really exposes that you're not worth listening to if you're just in it for your agenda. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is funny because that's the criticism that they have. They're like, yeah. you know, the movies have an agenda, but it's like, okay, well, then what? Did, what's your channel if that's pretty much all you talk about like the 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 catalog of movies that exist in a year is so much so much larger than that in my opinion <laughs> it depends on what type of things you're exposing yourself to really mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm extremely curious because what is past the billion club now oh, that's like 1.2 yeah. billion at the moment um and of course mattel they're they're slapping their hands together with glee like oh yes this is a new franchise now we can mcu this yeah this uh, whole thing <laughs> right now so i guess that's the plan but like could could you guys even imagine a sequel to this i i, I don't i can't imagine greta doing it um if she wanted to and she felt right about it then fucking do it yeah but, but they're not gonna leave it i think instead it's going to be because, I mean, what else does Mattel have or what Hot the other companies are going to be? Yeah, Hot Wheels or... <laughs> I think they're actually green lighting a Hot Wheels movie. <laughs> who does like Tonka trucks or... <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, it would just make sense that anyone who has any sort of gas left in the tank of for nostalgia and, a, and an audience out there that remembers this product or this toy. I mean, we've already seen the year this year and blackberry was a part of it where it's like the origin story of some product oh yeah we were Mm. luckily lumped in with like you know tetris (laughs) and air we loved kind of how there were so many articles where we're like what the hell's going on with all these origin stories of these products um but it seems like that's going to continue and barbie is just sort of an extension of that too it's just another product you can make a little thing out of Mm -hmm. a big thing out of 
Yeah, I feel like uh, the the Lego movie really opened doors. Like, I feel like you right. really have movies like this without that uh, that level of self-awareness taking that brand, like having movie in the title and everything. It's like such a, this shouldn't work, and I can't believe mm-hmm. they've allowed this to come together and be as self-aware and have have as much kind of commentary snuck in as there is. And Yeah. yeah. yeah wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense to have a Super Mario sequel where it's, you know, Mario Kart? <laughs> we'll probably see that. But they put Mario Kart in the Mario movie already. Yeah, but not all of it. I want to see all the levels, mm. all the items. They could do a TV show. Yeah. Or how about a <laughs> how about a GoldenEye sixty four? Oh no, they did that with GoldenEye. Mm. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, I found it really interesting that, and also just like a great creative decision to allow this movie to be PG thirteen instead of trying to only have this appeal yeah. to younger audiences and it's also funny we talk about media literacy like there's there were some parents that brought some kids where it's like okay i don't know if you knew what movie you were going into like maybe just look up one tiny thing about it before going into it even if you're at the theater and you haven't even looked it up like on imdb or whatever like it'll say pg-13 right at the theater so it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody uh also the trailer you know there was the uh in the marketing they had the, I'm going to beat you off and stuff like that. Like, of course, oh, there's yeah, sexual yeah, innuendos yeah, yeah, yeah. and jokes. I was like, just trying to think that was in the what, the, what the more adult humor was in it. I was like, why couldn't it be PG? And I guess, oh, okay. Yeah, some of that stuff. But that would that would like, that would hide mm-hmm. well, you know what I mean? That would hide in, in plain sight without, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> no six-year-old is going to all of a sudden raise an eyebrow to that and be like, wait a second, this kind of <laughs> sounds sexual. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you probably don't want them to be endlessly quoting the movie (laughs) (laughs) to their friends at school. I'm going to beat you off. Nah. (laughs) Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't. uh, It had every reason to be a bad movie and be just completely generic and devoid of art and creative choices. And they put their faith in... A couple of artists that uh, knew what they were doing, and I'm glad that they uh, had the creative freedom to make what they wanted. Unfortunately, you know, as these things go, the takeaway from the studios will probably not be that. They'll probably, you know, they're already talking about Hot Wheels. Like, oh, it's just people want Barbie now? Like, they think in such simplistic terms of why a movie is successful. And to some degree, of course, the name recognition and the brand recognition did play a part, 100%. But... The reason why it has such great word of mouth and that people are going back and telling their friends and seeing it a second time and that that long form uh, success that will, you know, people will buy this on Blu-ray. People will be watching it in 10, 20, however many years from now. Um, yeah. That's because of the artistry. And I just hope I hope that one day I hope that one day the people in charge of the money going into the movies will uh See that that is the most important part, but uh, you never know. Amen. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts. The fact it felt like a Greta Gerwig movie and not like a cynical brand movie. Exactly. That's why I saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't be watching the Barbie movie if it wasn't made by those people. Absolutely. I remember my favorite joke that um, she wrote in her uh, Francis Ha. It's so it's so small, but like mm-hmm. I remember just being like I 
love this person for saying this when she's t- it's her and her girlfriend in it and they're talking about their boyfriends and at some point she she just it's this barely even a joke but she goes yeah he got this new black couch and he's like i love it and for some reason i think that that's such a funny roast of men mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i i felt like so like oh my god you just got me there and that is so inexplicably <laughs> funny like i don't know why that feels like you just got me, but you did. <laughs> and it made me just forever love her. I'm like, okay, you have license to go anywhere you want with roasting men and women. Let's have some fun. That's that's where the fun gender commentary is, in my opinion, is when you can say something that is not like a hyperbolic, like, oh, you just had like a bad date. What the fuck? Like, some, some not something mm-hmm. like that, but w- when you're, you know, poking fun at mannerisms or stereotypes or some things that can be generally perceived as true to some people, you know, truth within comedy is is what can really help drive it. And it, yeah, again, it's not it doesn't feel mean spirited. You know, there's plenty, plenty of jokes aimed at women and you know as long <laughs> there's there's a huge difference between jokes like that and like actual sexism you know exactly like i don't even think that i didn't take any of the barbie fun that they had with the gender jokes to be taking aim at anything even yeah. the the men in the real world and and the all the ceos being a bunch of boobs and just you know the leering and and catcalling like there was something about it that just felt a bit like hey let's just be real that men and women are different and yeah and let's take let's just mm-hmm. kind of laugh at how they clash this is not a take exactly aim and let's make a point yeah. about yeah. something it was like well isn't it funny that there are men in the world and there are women in the world and this is kind of the way it it worked out and we're kind of working towards these things. This is a, what a mess, huh? Isn't that funny? And here's a Barbie story to kind of have fun with that. Laugh with each other. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. Awesome movie. I think uh, we've said uh, pretty much everything we wanted to about it. Uh, Great music, great sets, fucking yeah. Great tone, great sense of humor, great uh, just absurdism and all that shit. And uh, yeah, I'm giving this one a, Seven out of ten. It's closer to an eight than a six, so it might uh, it might bump itself up to an eight on my second watch. We'll see, but it's probably going to show up in my uh, best of the year list. So yeah, loved it. Nice. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. This would be a seven out of ten for me. Three and a half star. Um, yeah, echoing all the stuff we've already said. Um, Got to shout out that that probably my favorite scene in the movie is uh, that just that simple sequence where she sat on the bench talking to that older woman um i love that it like just had representation of like the whole gambit because especially in like cinema older women are pretty like ignored mm-hmm. and not really like addressed in a lot of ways so True. i like that there were a couple of scenes kind of nudging towards that and yeah it's like it's like a good yeah good uh just package overall i love that production design love the messages yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it again I'm right there with you guys, seven out of ten. Uh, surprisingly touching in those. I think the music definitely knew how to sort of uh, when when you have that sort of like pat, warm pads and those overcompressed pianos come in to just sort of cue you to be like, this is going to be a touching moment. This is going to be a deep moment. Like sometimes 
movies can be so good at just manipulating. Mm -hmm. So like I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll well up in the eyes before the line is even said if they're handling it well, because they're mm -hmm. just kind of like riding, mm -hmm. they're just, they got their tendrils in your emotions and you're just like, okay, I'm with you. Good job. Um, I don't know. Like, I guess I don't even know how I would expect this movie to be better, even even though I'm giving it a seven out of ten. Like, I don't know what why it's missing. It's there's a lot of the comedy that I I'm not a huge fan of. Like the Benny, like the chasing around <laughs> the office, and they're kind of just like like all that stuff. I and maybe a lot of other little jokes in the movie. I kind of just wait out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, I felt I like, like okay, this chase, is definitely actually. not for me. Like, I I, I don't know. I don't even know who this is for. Actually, maybe I heard some people in the theater laughing at that and was glad that they liked it. In the empty theater? They can give it a, a nine out of 10. Yeah, there was, there was just a <laughs> few people. Yeah, really enjoyable. Perfect. All right, so we have the film recommendation. It is The Edge, 1997. Uh, why don't you tell us about it, Jay, because you recommended it. The Edge, starring Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin about being lost in the wilderness and surviving. Um, a movie that you, if, you'd ne if you've never seen it, it would be probably one of those synopsises that, or, or, or a poster that you'd see and be like, I don't, I don't know if I need to see that. It's just some 90s movie that was made. But for me, I, it, it's, just, it's quite simply just one of those movies that I can count on a hand or two that I can just watch over and over again. And I suppose I could maybe just speak a, a little bit and try to find what it is that gives a movie that quality. But really, I don't know. Like, it's just an incredibly enjoyable movie that doesn't ever have me like as soon it's one of those movies where when you when you when it's on and you even start it, it just I watch it to the very end. I'm completely with these characters because they're just acting so well. I love the acting in it. I love the musical score to it. Very inspiring. It's one, it's one of those scores that gets to take its main motif and just use it so much. Like the filmmaking had obviously the foresight to have that amount of music kind of carry it. And uh, it's not even that I'm really into like – you know, a bear attack or anything <laughs> like that. It's just these, it's the character and, 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 and also about the smart billionaire who's not the, the evil guy. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of comes in. It was a simpler time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unexpected time. character. Yeah. Yeah. You guys just watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, had, had you seen it before? I don't think either of no. us have had. Mm -mm. Yeah. So I very interesting. It like it's, it's a dated movie. Certainly some of the, you know, effects and green screen stuff probably doesn't hold up that well, but, mm -hmm. but still I just watched it again a couple of days ago and I just ripped through it again and just loved it. Left me with a feeling again. I, I, I wonder how much I'm chalking it up to just the fact that when I watched it, when I was young and I had a few pals too, that also loved the movie and we would put it on it was back in the day when there weren't a gazillion things to keep your attention. So you mm -hmm. go to your VHS collection and be like, what movie do you want to watch? Let's watch The Edge again. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, <laughs> I'll get us a couple of Pepsis and, yeah. and we're set. And so, you know, the fact that I have some of those memories attached to it maybe just kind of makes it a little warmer of a space in my brain. Mm -hmm. But what did you guys think? 
It was very entertaining. Yeah, that's for sure. It was definitely entertaining. Yeah, there's yeah. like a corniness, a goofiness to it. But <laughs> man, I was never, I was never bored during that runtime. Uh, yeah, I was enjoying what it was throwing at me. It was, it didn't dilly dally. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty funny at points. <laughs> um, I did. I have this whole bear thing as well, though. Like I. I'm 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 just like so terrified of bears. I, I don't know if you'd call it irrational. <laughs> I feel like I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, bad not, way to go. But yeah, exactly. And that, yeah, I think after watching um, what's that bear documentary, the Herzog one, um, Grizzly Man. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. And then like the Revenant and stuff like this. It's it's not quite on that level, but. Yeah, there's, there's something really fun about it. Um, and I was surprised after I watched it to see it was directed by uh, Lee Tamahori. Yeah. He's a New Zealand director. Um, big fan of his movie Once War Warriors. Um, can't really say the same about like Triple X 2 or, <laughs> or whatever. But those, State those of the Union, bro. Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting dynamic uh, with the <laughs> Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, funny characters. A mammoth written movie, you know, like the dialogue is is very, uh, like all that mammoth type of stuff always seems to have dialogue that really just snaps back and forth to mm -hmm. each other really well in a way that's just for, like, once that dialogue goes, most, you know, exemplified in like Glenn Gary, where it's just like, as soon as you hear this dialogue start on its track, you're glued to hearing the back and forth of it all. There's mm -hmm. something that's so gluey about it, like that you just can't kind of unglue yourself from the uh, its momentum and meaning. Yeah, this is the this is the same composer, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, as mm, yeah, Chinatown, Patton, uh, 1969, Planet of the Apes, uh, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Alien. Mulan, A Alien, yeah, yeah, bunch of shit. So yeah, really, really good Total stuff. Total recall. I really love watching '90s movies because even in something where it's like, okay, this is just a standard like big budget thing that happened to be released at one point in time. I, f I feel like I feel like they hired a lot of people that just knew what they were doing in terms of musical score. There's not a lot of '90s movies mm -hmm. where I feel like, ah, oh, that's like a that's like a really shit score or. Maybe I don't know. It might just be like a bias or or the types of movies that I uh, watch from the '90s. But it's always refreshing to just know that that's something that's basically a given <laughs> when you watch uh, when you watch older films. Like, oh yeah, there's this whole orchestral piece, orchestral piece. I feel like for the most part, the soundtrack worked. Although, I guess during some of the fight sequences, I wasn't as hot on it. It started to become a little, you know, like generic fight music, but oh, definitely, where they're doing the anvil, yeah, yeah, anvil yeah. strikes, chang, chang, chang. <laughs> it's really just the um, that main theme that keeps mm -hmm. getting worked on. <laughs> just soaring. Yeah, so I, I was, um, I was enjoying this movie in, you know, uh, both an unironic and kind of an ironic way in the sense that like it is very cheesy and very funny and I'm not like a huge Alec Baldwin fan although he does do a really good job at playing like big pieces of shit <laughs> and so know, he, right? you know the annoyance <laughs> that I had with him during the movie it's like okay well that's also kind of intentional you know like 
um it, it is it is funny seeing him in this role and also i'm not used to seeing him so young and skinnier mm-hmm. yeah. as well and then uh anthony hopkins is like obviously really great both of their characters kind of playing off of each other even if i couldn't take it seriously for the entire movie it was still fun to watch it didn't feel like it was meandering or boring in that sense it just felt kind of like this weird 90s time capsule sort of thing uh totally yeah you know i'm able to look back on fondly even if i haven't hadn't seen the movie before yeah it was it was just the right level of simple as well you know like there is just something engaging about people trying to survive in a dangerous environment being chased mm-hmm. by a bear like it's such a like simple like elevator pitch and <laughs> yeah with that score with anthony hopkins it does give it just enough to like carry this it's, nearly two hour long story it's very very simple because it does it does it, it does not require you to kind of have any you know afterthoughts about it really mm-hmm. you can just sort of yeah, yeah. take it for the adventure it is i have after many watches considered just that I am very glued to Anthony Hopkins' storyline and his character where he comes in and he is, you know, this kind of quiet, reserved, know it, he knows everything, right? Oh, you can't stump him. He knows everything. And he's mm-hmm. this guy who's, you know, achieved everything, including knowledge. Like he's got his his money, but he's he's together. He's healthy. He's got the young model girlfriend yet there's something about him that he, he doesn't see, he doesn't feel satisfied. And then he halfway through the movie when, you know, they're lost and after they kill the bear, spoiler alert, spoiler um, discussion, everybody, he does say to, to Alec Baldwin, he's, he's just like, you know, all my life I wanted to do something unequivocal. And, but he says it with like a type of like, I guess I, I did it because even even Anthony, even Alec is just like, well, I think this counts. But when you could see that he is the most touched is when these guys treat him like a pal. Mm -hmm. And at the end, the very end, you know, when he says, you know, like they died and when he finally breaks down, he's like, my friends, my my friends, Mm -hmm. they died saving my life. And it just seems like he wanted a a friend. Maybe he didn't have any friends. A story he could tell himself. Because everybody everybody wanted something from him, even the guy who was, like, running the lodge. Mm-hmm. And then Anthony gets, like, once again really upset. He's just like, I thought he would just be courteous. He just wanted my money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's that line that's early on, isn't there? The, the rich are different, the character says. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation, actually, the taking the billionaire who has everything and putting him in, a, in an environment where that... That, that, that skill set doesn't really help in the same way. Having loads of money isn't going to mm-hmm. protect you from a bear necessarily. Um, it's all like the theory being put into use. Yeah, we don't we don't really see billionaires portrayed in the same way anymore. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a very '90s thing. You're like, oh, yeah, we live in a meritocracy. Like, <laughs> right. they're they're billionaires because they know everything and they're the smartest people. Uh, it was a fun character though. I heard that they had a pretty bad time shooting it. Oh, like yeah? I think that they got like hyperthermia and like they did. I don't know how much of that is dressed yeah, up. Yeah, Hopkins did. Um, is what but I yeah, I did hear that they like they were up and they shot it in um, Alberta, I think. Yep. Or BC. Some in Alberta and, and some in BC. The reshoots were in BC, yeah. I think. And 
I guess you can imagine that, like, you know, they're out there and they're shooting that. They have to do it for real. They can't exactly heat them up too easily. Yeah. You could see the breath in the air in a few scenes, which is a <laughs> very, very good indicator of whether or not they're actually in a cold environment. Yeah. I know, I. I found I found it funny. There's there's so many moments throughout the film where the the characters are given like very explicit advice on what to do to survive in a situation, and it all just gets ignored every single time. Like, don't leave food out, and then it's like, oh, okay. When you see a bear, you gotta make sure they know you're there and walk backwards slowly. It's like, okay, nobody did that. You gotta bury the. Uh, <laughs> I thought I told you to bury those. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, oh. Oops. And like, what did, what did he do? That, that was, I thought about that too, where it's like, he takes the bloody rags from the guy's leg, gives it to Alec Baldwin and says, bury this. And then Alec Baldwin runs off into the woods. <laughs> he runs off into the woods, right? And so we don't see him. Then later it's, it's night and they know the bears out there and it's raining. And then Anthony Hopkins sees it where? Tied really up <laughs> on, on a branch. Up in the air. So, like, not only did Alec purpose? Baldwin not bury it, why did he put it onto a branch? Why wouldn't he just throw it away? He's a little shit, is what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's Very a bad strange. Guy. Working with the bear, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was fun, because it was like, you know, there's, there's some familiar tropes, especially of, like, 90s movies. I'm like, okay, this character is expendable. The pilot dies immediately. I'm like, yep. And then I'm looking at the trio. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think one of you is going to die. A bit of... <laughs> <laughs> I think I can tell who's going to die pretty soon. I wonder if it's going to be one of the two people on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> or this third guy. Yeah. There were some brutal scenes, though. I loved that bear attack scene. And his screams, even though like the screams. It, was, it was peaking the mic yeah. for, for a bit, but you know. But that's that almost what gave it a little it. bit of extra. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I like that. And uh, Anthony Hopkins just truly trying to throw himself at <laughs> that bear while he's get, like, he was, <laughs> was going to sacrifice himself. And I, I just love that acting because you can kind of see it, that's when the movie, if you if you just go with the movie and, and the way I, I watch it or I just completely forgive all of its cheesiness and I'm like kind of I'm riding it in real time with, with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Baldwin, that's when the movie gets like real. It's, that's their first like sure they're suffering and they're lost and the guy cut his own leg and everything. But when the bear mauls him to death in that brutal way and they kind of run away that's when you get to really start to sit forward in your seat and be like okay this is where this is where they realize they're in serious danger it's all real now mm -hmm. it's all just yeah, been stakes. fully realized i think that's an awesome part mm -hmm. i mean yeah the, the state <laughs> there's definitely really high stakes in this film i love that because we we recently watched cocaine bear which was really bad. Mm. And one of my criticisms is just like, okay, when you CG the bear, you're spending the entire production trying to find out how not to show it, right? Because <laughs> you don't want to spend oh money gosh. on every single shot that you're just spending more money than you have to. So the bear has to like sneak away and not be in it for like half the movie or whatever. But they used a real bear and it's a pretty famous bear, Bart the Bear. He's been in a bunch of other movies. Yes. He's, he's a star. He was in... Uh, 12 monkeys he was in a bunch of shit and it's oh, crazy it the same bear. That's cool. yeah yeah literally the same bear so i guess just 
one guy, one trainer had like a very docile bear that could be used in film for a certain amount of time. Who knows if that's possible ever again or if that was just like the luckiest instance of just a, the, uh, an yeah. atypical yeah. bear that you could actually use for films. The other story could have gone that, oh, that's how Anthony Hopkins was killed. <laughs> yeah. Shooting this movie, The Edge, with mm -hmm. Bart the bear. Yeah, who knows how yeah. close he actually got to the bear. Because the in a lot of the shots, I think a lot of it was cheated in a oh, way where they were the using stunt doubles. Stunt double. Yeah. 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 But it's still, you know, still it feels like the actors, the characters, it feels like they're up close and personal with it, which is something that you can't really say about cocaine bear at any point yeah i think that's what kept me in it it's like I, I believed the action i believed the stunts but mm -hmm. like the there is a brutality to it like the the plane crash is a pretty brutal scene yeah too. Like it's r-rated like yeah yeah i like that and uh yeah i was never really pulled out by any of the bear effects so just the fact that it is a real bear and yeah contrasting it with <laughs> with stuff like cocaine bear I mean, <laughs> it's just like night and day you know <laughs> yeah. just having that real bear there it's like such <laughs> makes such a difference if like that's kind of the crux of the movie, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it, you, have to, you have to sell the bear, and I, I really thought there were going to be more. I don't know, try and hide that bear more, abstract the bear. But no, you you got plenty of bear scenes. It's just as terrifying as you'd imagine mm -hmm. if you're scared of bears as I am. Yeah, there's a there's a a real. It's accessing your other sort of primal interest in seeing real wildlife. The way like a yeah. National Geographic documentary, when all of a sudden. You have a really beautiful, well-lit shot of a bear in a ravine, and it's like on screen kind of doing its thing. You can't help but just kind of be like, look at that. Look at that bear. That's a bear. Yeah. That's a real bear. That's that just- bears on cocaine. In and of itself, interesting. I don't <laughs> think the cocaine bear, they needed to make look real. Like there's no- No. Could have been a fucking like guy in a suit. Would have been a better movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Uh, there's yeah there's a lot there's a lot of fun moments in this the uh <laughs> the 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 scene where uh he's trying to like hype him up like i'm gonna kill the bear say it <laughs> i'm gonna kill the bear <laughs> like that whole <laughs> yeah, long yeah. like what one man can do another can do yeah it, it's so cheesy <laughs> and then he has that real cheesy line <laughs> oh i love it because yeah. today i'm i'm gonna kill the motherfucker <laughs> oh i love it and yeah the, the cheesiness it's 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 a part of the entertainment value for me. It's it's a part of the experience, especially with how seemingly seriously it's portrayed in tone <laughs> for most of the film when there's yeah. just so much goofy shit happening. And especially I'm I'm fairly well versed in I don't know, outdoor survival stuff. I took Boy Scouts and so I, I watching this movie, there's always a voice in the back of my head. I'm like, you can't just you can't just wear your wet clothes to sleep. Like, right. you take yeah, those off, like dry them off. Like they never did that once. And the next morning their clothes are completely dry. I'm like, ah, and so there was a constant yeah. onslaught of just like, you shouldn't be doing that. Why are you doing that? But you know, they survived. Have you seen, um, have you seen the series alone? No, I've heard it's really good though. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I've also seen a whole bunch of um, survivor, which is its own, uh, trash yeah. show of just awesomeness. <laughs> like that, I can't thing. recommend that show enough. Like Jeff Probst is like the best to ever do it. <laughs> uh, but alone, you know, I went in kind of skeptical because it's like, well, you know, I know that Survivor is like a complete, you know, farce in a way. Um, but alone, they take the cameras with them. Like they're dropped 
in the middle of the wilderness and they have to film themselves. There's no camera crews. And these are like expert survivalists that need to like qualify to be on the show. And they're out for, they're out there competing for months and they build their homes and they get malnourished and they get taken out for injuries. And the malnourishment is real. Like you see the before and after pictures. I'm talking like rib cages mm -hmm. bursting out of their tiny <laughs> little bodies. Like they do it for real. And that was where you could sort of, you know what I mean? Maybe cross check your knowledge about survival. Mm -hmm. Cause they were, they were talking about that all the time. It's like, Oh, I want to go out and get that fish trap that floated out there. But if I fall in, it's over. I'm out of the competition. My clothes will never dry. I'm like, is that really a big pitfall of, of surviving is just wet clothes. It can fuck you up. Yeah. It really can. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the fact that they were all just chilling in their wet clothes <laughs> and then just continuing to get them wet again. There's the scene where like, they're under the shelter and it's raining like right before uh, Anthony Hopkins yeah. notices the uh, blood, bloody uh, rag or whatever the piece of his clothes. Yeah. And he just like he kind of just nonchalantly walks out from the shelter just like oh, I feel like being in the rain right now. It's like <laughs> it's supposed to be cold. It's supposed to be. This isn't even warm rain like you guys are shivering in the shelter. So I don't know what the fuck you're doing. So that was kind of uh, funny, especially considering the character's supposed to be kind of like a survivalist. I'm so glad that I didn't clock that. It, 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 it was constant, but I was enjoying it for the cheese for sure. I, 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 I'm, so, I'm, I'm almost like happy that it's not like I'm protective of the movie where it's just mm -hmm. like, I don't care about that. You know what I mean? I'll still enjoy it. But I'm just glad that I have it in my little list of, of movies where enough things, cause I am, I am so skeptical or just cynical about so many movies these days. It's great to go see Barbie and it's great, mm -hmm. great to go see Oppenheimer. It's great. There are too many things that I guess just as you get older, when you watch them and you're plagued with these thoughts that are like, well, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. And it takes you out of experiencing some good or some just big efforts of cinema. And, I'm I'm happy that the edge for me just like actually survives through all of its ridiculousness where I could actually still watch it like an exciting like oh my god they got to survive like I'm not even watching it enjoying the cheesiness I'm watching it completely buying what it's selling me and that's a rare thing that I wish I could be more open to. Mm -hmm. But then again, I do have a lot of friends that are so like, like Matt and, and uh, some of our pals are very, uh, you know, we could walk out of the same movie and half our, our crew is just going to be like, oh my God, that was bullshit. Did you see this? <laughs> did you see how mm -hmm. they did that? Mm -hmm. And I'll just be so happy that <laughs> I just was able to completely finish my plate that was served to me and just say that was delicious. <laughs> I loved it. Like we have this big uh, debate or like he, he thinks interstellar of, because we're talking about uh, Nolan's movies. Mm -hmm. He thinks interstellar is just such a joke of a movie. It's so ridiculous. And, and I'm just like, you know what? That's my favorite Nolan movie. Just because I'm completely swept up in its music and heart. Mm -hmm. And I can totally listen and clock and maybe be like, oh, I didn't pick up on why that's so dumb. That's true. 
I'm glad that that doesn't bother me. That that, that doesn't break my immersion mm. for the experience that I got out of it. I've always been a big proponent of enjoying something despite its flaws. Because I, I feel like there's yeah. plenty of movies that I love that are incredibly flawed, but I'm just kind of like, okay, I can recognize that that flaw exists. And maybe to some extent, these flaws do bother me. Like, if, you know, if, I, I could give some examples, but I guess they would kind of be spoilery. But yeah, it, it, it really depends on what else the movie has to offer and what else is going for it. The flaws are going to bother me a lot more and have a lot more of an impact on my rating if I feel as though the heart of the movie and the soul of the movie is insincere, right? So, you know, watching A Quiet Place, mm. it was all about the flaws for me because what they're showing is just such an, uh, like, in my opinion, the characters were just props, right? And every single scene was just like, a, ooh, what if they fuck up here when you're supposed to be quiet? And they, it just felt like there was no care involved in in trying to figure out how they should be in danger or why they would be in danger. It was just like, oh, no, they're in danger. And it, that just seemed to be the goal with nothing else considered. So in that movie, mm. the flaws stand out a lot more. In this film, there's, you know, there's a bit of both. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to pretend like the the annoyances of the film were like things that didn't affect my experience whatsoever. But being able to watch something and and have that comforting like 90s cheese sort of enveloping the whole thing mm-hmm. made it like a really fun, enjoyable experience regardless of what they were showing. And, I, you know, I, I get I get a lot of comedic value out of a lot of these things uh, that happen in this film. So it's still it's still a good experience. There's tons of movies that I just love to to watch, even if they are flawed or even if they are showing something oh, totally unrealistic or super cheesy or you know, something's played really seriously, but it's kind of goofy. Like, that's still something to enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's consistent the whole way through. You know, it's a consistent tone. The, yeah, there's the goofiness there, but all the characters are treating it seriously. Like, Anthony Hopkins, he's like, <laughs> he's in there, you know? It's, <laughs> it's convincing, He's and he's got that gravitas. So, like, yeah, he's, he's selling the lines, even if they are, they can be, like, goofy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, like, better that they're playing it seriously <laughs> instead Much of better. doing like yeah. a weird ironic thing i found it i i did laugh at the end when uh he looks back at alec baldwin and he's in the classic like i'm dead position <laughs> like, yeah the, <laughs> yeah. The no. hand and face down no like, mystery here like, yeah there's there's some fun stuff in it he alec baldwin had a lot of silly faces in this movie he especially at the end there oh yeah that <laughs> When when he reveals that he still what, that he took the note from the cabin and he gives this like dumb like oopsie face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's so much that? in the performance yeah. that is just so entertaining. Even if I even if I don't love Alec Baldwin, his performance was very funny, <laughs> very enjoyable. That's kind of what I love about Alec Baldwin is just mm-hmm. that he's got that intensity. That's just it's kind of fun. It's fun. Like, do you ever hear that? Um, Ed Norton talking about working with him. No. Like, and doing takes no. with him. Like, Ed Norton does this impression of Alec where he was like doing a take and he'd be like making these weird sounds before, like hyping himself up, going like, boom, zap. And, <laughs> and like, kind of like making Ed Norton kind of turn his head. And, and then that intensity sort of, I guess, tr- translates to his real self and uh 
and just how he works because he was doing this impression of him where he's like, he finished a take and then he, and then all of a sudden he goes, wait, stop, nobody move, keep the cameras going. Everyone just be still. <laughs> this, this next take is going to blow your fucking socks <laughs> off. And he's like holding this moment and you could just picture him doing that. And it's like, oh, this intensity that is you gets harvested for your characters. Mm -hmm. And that's just so fun. Sure, he's he's definitely a ridiculous guy. I mean, I'm, there's a whole lot to. I think he's got a whole like paparazzi dedicated to his whole family life, and he doesn't do himself any favors with those weird tick TikTok or Instagram videos. <laughs> his wife is weird, saying that she was like uh, from Spain or something. She's really playing up that she's Spanish, and then it's I like, no, no you're American, and oh yeah, my mom was really into this. Thing. She's like, did you hear what's happening now with Hilaria Baldwin? There's all this old footage of her, like with an accent, and it's not real. And it's like, I I can't get involved in this. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a funny uh, Roger Ebert quote for this movie. He gave the film three out of four stars, but his big criticism. This is a weird one. We love Roger Ebert, but sometimes he has some really weird takes. He says, having suc successfully negotiated almost its entire 118 minutes, the edge shoots itself in the foot. After the emotionally fraught final moments, just as we are savoring the implications of what has just happened, the screen fades to black and we immediately get a big credit for Bart the Bear. Now, Bart is one hell of a bear. I loved him in the role of the bear. But this credit in this place is a spectacularly bad idea. <laughs> what a weird... Wow, that's a, a really like, Yeah, funny credit criticism. the bear. The bear's the fucking star. Credit the bear. Yeah. Top billing. Bart. It's almost like a, the, the least you could do for for putting the bear through that. Like who I mean, you'd like to believe that it didn't suffer in any way, but we did take this bear it that has work. no idea what it's doing and made yeah. a star out of him without his choice, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, you'd like to believe that that bear had a great life and was just fed great and just had this attention and maybe it wasn't maybe it was a bit like touched in a way that couldn't even have it survive on its own. Mm -hmm. It's it was mm -hmm. that docile, like it had like a really low IQ or something, or I you don't never know. know. But I have no problem with that <laughs> credit there. Not at all. That sounds just about right. Yeah. Well, yeah, the credits aren't really part of the narrative. It's like kind of wrapped up, and then you're crediting. He's <laughs> yeah. Ebert Ebert's got a lot of funny <laughs> shit. He's it, <laughs> he's he's great. There's a lot of really uh, substantive and poetic review criticism from him but every once in a while you see one of these things where you're like what <laughs> if he's reviewing every movie he's bound to have some weird weird moments i guess in his uh criticism yeah there was a i i love that after they killed the bear they made coats out of it <laughs> and they were just like <laughs> they they spent the time doing that even though it'd probably take forever like just, just they they made coats out of it, and he was walking around with the the bear claw necklace. And I thought it was I had this moment right after he killed. Well, I guess he didn't kill Alec Baldwin, but he could have. Like if if when Alec Baldwin fell in the bear trap, we just saw a shot of Anthony Hopkins walking out of the woods with like a finger necklace and an Alec Baldwin coat. <laughs> like he skinned him too. Right, <laughs> that would have been a good ending. <laughs> I think that's a great. Uh... It's something that's why I'm, I'm just glad I didn't first watch the movie with thinking about that stuff. But where after they kill the bear and it shows them making all that it's stuff and they goofy. had made it, you just kind of, if you are at a clock, it's like, okay, so they 
took the time to do that. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were hiking with a target destination in mind and their survival at stake. But yeah, okay. They made the coats and he made this really intricate necklace. Did you make mm -hmm. one for me? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's even more time. Was that like a whole afternoon? Yeah. A couple yeah, days? I, I want to know how long they were gone for. Because when he comes back, his wife doesn't seem to be like that emotionally distraught also <laughs> you know she's kind of just yeah. like oh i guess you're back uh <laughs> it is one of those it's it's great questions that you want to ask and i wonder if maybe the internet people have maybe um tried to mathematically break it down best they could it's the same thing as like yeah, you maybe. know how many days did bill murray spend in groundhog day and mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some really fun breakdowns to like logically be like, well, if he learned to do this and he did that, then that's at least going to take this. So add yeah. that, add this. How long does it take to skin a bear? <laughs> How long does that it take well. to skin a bear? Make that necklace. <laughs> when you think about it, it really feels irresponsible of their time. Those contraptions that they made too, like the the squirrel trap yes. seems like it would be yeah, super elaborate it, would, it seemed like it would work much better for like a fish like a squirrel could definitely get out of that shit <laughs> and then the 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 trap for the bear that like the spikes and the huge gigantic weight it's like how did they get that up the tree like what the with what rope? holy shit so many questions they made the but, rope too yeah where did the rope come from when they were when they're all three of them still around and they were running away from the bear and they went down, they had to cross the ravine. And then Hopkins is just like, all right, this huge tree trunk, let's do it. And yeah. then he starts trying to move it and they kind of start propping it up. And then they did this sort of like strange jump cut in time where they had propped it up with these leveraged, all these other yeah. trees and these big things. And like, I'm like, how big is that ravine? And like, it was how all much just time set up did for they... <laughs> the pieces yeah, were like, there. All the pieces were there and like perfectly like cradling it. And yeah. was there no smarter and faster way to get across? It's another thing where you, when you clock the time, you're like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Also, bears are fucking fast. Like it would have, if it really wanted to kill them, it would have caught up to oh, them yeah. very easily. <laughs> uh, it, was just, it was just toying with but them. But yeah, maybe the bear was bored just trying to play. I don't know. It's funny the conclusions that they came to, too. Uh, just toying with us. They were like, <laughs> the bear, it's a man killer. It's stalk it's been stalking us this it's entire time. It's got the taste, yeah. Yeah. They set that up at the beginning. Once he's got the taste of man flesh, <laughs> want nothing else. Well, it's like I couldn't imagine myself being in a situation where like even if I thought that that was a possibility, then the best option is to try and lure the bear to me to kill it. Like what if I I would I would assume that there was a chance that I wouldn't run into it again. Like maybe you're just not covering your tracks better. I don't know. It's a we the bear is the threat, and then we decide. Okay, no, we need to lure the bear and kill the bear. Even though every other time they ran into it, it's not like it's not like it attacked them without them noticing it first. Like I would just be prepared for the next time it shows up, not necessarily. Like, oh, we need to we need to make a trap for the bear. And also that trap was fucking like that would have taken days that that whole swinging yeah. uh, fucking cannonball spike thing that was going on. It was pretty funny. It was pretty funny and pretty ridiculous, but I really enjoyed it. Do you think that uh, Alec Baldwin had already at the beginning of the movie 
based on his affair that he was, had going on that we know was happening with, with Hopkins' wife, do you think that he had already had a plan in his mind to kill him? Or do you think that the first, or do you think he just kind of was waiting it out so that he would die and, and that surprise party at the beginning was maybe him and her idea to be like, yeah, let's really surprise him. Let's Look give him a bear. heart attack. Let's give him a heart attack. That's what it seemed like, honestly. I was like, <laughs> it was funny. It was funny that Alec Baldwin was able to make a very convincing bear noise <laughs> when that happened. Too. Oh my god! <laughs> the, yeah, the audio sampled the so full funny. bear audio. Jump scare. Yeah. Speaking of audio, there's a there's a really quick shot where it shows the bear's claws and it does that like knife shing sound effect, which I found very funny. Even though it wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't making funny. contact with anything, it was just there was a point in time where it's like you show something sharp on screen and it needs that sound effect and it doesn't even matter why. Mm. I don't even, for all the times that I've seen that movie, I don't even, I can't even recall that. So like, it's there. Talk about it being, <laughs> you know, effective on some of us where it just works. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you love it and I'm glad you uh, shared it with us. Uh, it's always great to hear people talking about uh, things they're passionate about. Uh, Alex, did you have anything more to say about the movie? No, just I, I think I'm just leaning more towards the way Jay used the movie because, uh, just being real, I was not thinking about the logic stuff past a certain point. I was just there with the characters watching them survive. I'm happy know? for once you. you have those lines like yeah. Once I had the lines like yeah, the, once it has the taste of man flesh, it's it's, <laughs> it's going to be coming for you. It's, I don't know. It, it just set that 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 tone for me. Um, and yeah, the it's just consistently goofy. Um, yeah, and entertaining. I was, yeah, I was never bored. I'd, I'd happily watch this again. Um, only if you want to do ratings, but let's do it. For me, this would be a this would be just a, a strong six out of ten. Um, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed my time with it. And I'm also giving this one a six out of ten. Bam. Cool. This one is getting an eight out of ten for me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for. Uh, Thank you for introducing us to this movie. It was very fun. It was a very entertaining What watch. a pleasure to talk about all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Perfect. Shout out to the poster too. The, yeah. I feel like the poster like oh encapsulates God. the movie really well. It's like really funny. The They're faces, like close up yeah. To the faces. And also the quote, <laughs> yeah. it says, they were fighting over a woman until the plane went down. Now their only oh chance for survival is each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Oh my God. <clears throat> See, what I, I only remember the, I actually remember the teaser trailer for this, which was a long shot that's in the movie when it's sort of like a, a jump forward in time, kind of creeping up a wintry mountain to find them huddled together on like a little rock face of a mountain mm -hmm. or something. And it just sort of goes and, and sits on them as they're kind of shivering with each other. It's like this long, you know, 15 to 20 second shot as it kind of pushes into them. And I remember that was a teaser. It was just complete, just that. And it was like the edge coming soon or whatever. I remember as a kid seeing that. I like, I like effective teasers like that. I like ones that just yeah. kind of give you a taste of the movie rather than doing this whole weird edited version that doesn't reflect the tone i like it when you just get like a little sample these two stars together lost that's all you need to know mm -hmm. hopkins and baldwin are lost together cool i'm in <laughs> done all right time for questions cool let's do some questions then from the sardonicast community head over to the suggestion thread on the subreddit if you want to leave questions for future episodes just like 
identity is found, did. For Jay, I know you and Matt have a high tolerance for what embarrasses you while filming the show, but I just rewatched season two, episode three of Nirvana the Band the Show. We are trying to get into the musician party and it makes me die of secondhand embarrassment and I respect the commitment to the bit so much. What would you say is the most embarrassed you've been while filming the show or the hardest it has been to stay in character? Great question. That scene in particular was very uh, <laughs> difficult on the inside. <laughs> but, you know, it, it was mostly difficult because, to be honest, like, that's a bit of a opportunity missed for something even better to happen that I just couldn't quite manifest for myself through the – without breaking reality. It's always kind of tough to not go too over the top because then people will – kind of drop their guard and be like, you're just fucking with me. And mm -hmm. yeah, now you're not me. getting a good, the best is when people actually are thinking that you are a real person <laughs> and you're, and they're <laughs> trying their best to just kind of help you out or, or reason with you. But there are so many times that I'll be in character and um, on the street with somebody and they you, you kind of get into it with them and for whatever sort of ridiculousness that you're kind of subjecting them to. And they look at you like with this look <laughs> where they're like, Oh God, this is, this person's crazy or this is a ridiculous person. <laughs> yeah. And they realize they're, they're in and they're ensnared in this, in this like just back and <laughs> forth with, with us. And there is a feeling that you have on the inside that is a cringe feeling that, you know, you, you have this instinct so hard to just break completely, reach out, put your hand on their shoulder and be like, I'm just messing with you. Don't worry. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. put them out of their misery sort of thing. <laughs> but the only thing that stops you from doing that is this other meter that you're kind of monitoring where that very cringe level, you know, is just going to be gold, especially if we have some options of how to, you know, manipulate it or, or just at least augment it or show just the right bit from it um you know you can cut uh, a conversation down to like just the a, a couple of back and forth or something mm -hmm. and it just feels and it's and it, it is totally real and it is totally cringy but you have to have that sort of foresight to be like well this is going to be so special because that currency of of reality that gets woven into all of our stuff is really what we celebrate the most and anytime that we've had those cringe moments they're really hard to get through but what pushes us through them without us breaking is just that awesome feeling of like this is going to be so fun to watch perfect oh yeah 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 it's perfect uh jake wyman has this to say what are each of your favorite movie soundtracks as of late also to jay Berg, great job with the blackberry soundtrack and also kid detective Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Um, as of late, what has been out there? Um, oh, well, I mean, like Oppenheimer was just beautiful. That yeah, Ludwig that score cool. was just so cool. All those tempo changes and that sort of like pulsing that happens yeah. under some great, like just romantic uh, chord progressions. And, you know, the first hour of the movie, there's a lot of just like, you know, three chords oscillating with through each other with like through just wonderful tones of of sort of background score that just pushes 
that sort of like montage way that they did the first half of the movie. Um, yeah. Ludwig kind of has been killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I, I like his stuff. I even like, even though I co- totally fell off the Mandalorian cause I'm not really a big superhero type of fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like watching the first season of Mandalorian and my God, the music was so cool. Yeah. And the theme song yeah. is just perfect. Like that's what kind of made it to me. Like it kind of, when, when you dress something in that much class, um, it kind of allows you to kind of immerse yourself a little more in yeah. its world. He managed to find a new identity that wasn't just aping John Williams. I sounds. know it, it yeah. perfectly took just a little bit of the fanfare and a little bit of the camp, but then had, uh, had a, a, its own thing completely. Yeah, that was a real success. Yeah. Phantom Thread is one that I've really, really, really oh, yeah. loved. Uh, Johnny Greenwood, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Incredible score. Now, the way I've heard that he scores th- those Paul Thomas Anderson movies is that, and I'm sure maybe it's not exclusively this way, but I, I don't think that he does a lot of scoring to picture. Like, I don't think he's mm. receiving a, a cut and then, you know, writing to these sync points and posts where, oh, I've got to kind of ride this and, oh, I'm going to try to hit his eyebrow movement here. And <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of that happening, which is a, a very challenging part of film scoring, mm. I would say, just because it, 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 gives, it, it there's so, so many like very specific targets to hit. What I know that he talked about with scoring those films is that he would have extensive conversations with um, uh, PT and just know what the different moods and different angles and colors that are going to be used and where the movie is going to go and then write pieces that then PT will then edit to, mm. which is how we did a lot of Blackberry cool. too. Mm-hmm. Um, Kid, Kid Detective, I did entirely scoring the picture. It was like very well edited by the time I, I got it sort of like fine cut. Um, and it was a very targeted approach. Blackberry, I started writing while we were shooting. So I'd come back on the weekends from shooting and, and then uh, write a little bit based on how the shoot was going and what, mm-hmm. what it kind of felt like. And a lot of those cues ended up getting just slotted in. Kurt, our editor, and... and um, Bobby Upchurch, who was also editing, um, ended up getting just a whole bunch of library of sounds and little cues that I'd make, just knowing what the what the script had in it and what I knew was coming up. I know we need this sort of tense tense moment for this. I know we need this heartfelt moment for Mike. And I'd give options, and then they would play around with the editing using that music, which makes it a lot easier to then manipulate and 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 massage once you get the picture back and you're scoring the picture because you don't have temp music. You have your own music Mm -hmm. that you can then just um, fix up and get the endings in there and maybe find some new sync points. Yeah, that makes sense because, you know, there's a lot of films. Quentin Tarantino is a good example of someone who uses existing music and then writes a scene around it, basically, uh, or Mm -hmm. edits the film around it. And so that in that same sense, you can still have a fresh piece of music composed for the film but not necessarily one that is trying to match the beats of the film 
Like it, it can be done in either direction, which is interesting. It happens quite a bit. The movie matching the rhythms of the music. I mean, mm -hmm. Interstellar did did that with Hans Zimmer quite a bit. Mm. Um, there's that famous story of back in the day when they didn't used to do a lot of this. When John Williams was doing the huge ending of E.T. and Spielberg is in the big uh, orchestra hall with them, and they're sinking that whole last bike chase all the way to the ending of the movie. It's like a 11 minute piece or something. And it's what it's, I think maybe my favorite piece of scoring ever. It's like, that is to me, the magic of cinema personified, just that mm -hmm. movie, that ending sequence and that music pretty much kind of is the top of movie magic to me. Mm hmm. I, I can't help but just cry at the whole that whole last whenever I watch it. But what what's mm -hmm. amazing about that and how the the music works so well is that they it, Williams just scored the picture the whole thing because he's a just total goat for that. But he couldn't. He was having so much trouble in this really crazy chaotic orchestra cue to sync everything as they have the screen behind them and he's watching and they've got the you know the how they used to sync with clipping holes out of the actual film to give yeah. like a little cue and scratch the film to give mm. you a little setup of where your little sync points are and they were having trouble syncing it because it was just a really wild orchestra piece and so spielberg was like why don't you just record this 11 minutes of music the way you think it sounds best and then i'm going to go and re-edit to it and that was like a little bit of an un something that wasn't done often nowadays uh you know i'm sure johnny greenwood wrote a lot of that um phantom thread stuff just in the wild as they say mm -hmm. um and just provide pt with like here's like an album's worth of this phantom threads what i think the score would sound like and then maybe you do some back and forth just in the wild like oh give me a little bit more of this or hey this this part here is swimming around and this stuff more of this or slow this part down. Like you could build a film score that way without even looking at the picture. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love hearing about that process. Um, I guess for me, a shout out disaster piece. Um, nice. Big fan. I, I watched uh, Marcel, the show with shoes on finally. Oh yeah. I forgot um, they did that. Love that score. A lot. Also oh, yeah. very yeah. versatile. Mm -hmm. Very versatile. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Bodies, bodies, bodies under the silver lake. It follows. Yeah. Um, Random stuff like Triple Frontier. I loved the score for Under the Silver Lake. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Um, That's very good, good stuff. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's do this one from Mr. Hates This Website. Question for Jay. I really enjoyed your part in The Dirties and overall just love that film. What was it like shooting a movie under such unique conditions at a real high school? And did it feel any different working on a movie with such hot button subject matter like that? Looking forward to whatever you do next. I went in to that matt told me i want you to play the teacher for this part in this in the dirties and so i went to the school and i showed up and i had like you know my brown blazer on tried to look like a music teacher and i'm in this empty classroom and matt's there and, and i and i just walked into the class i just showed up and nobody was there but matt and owen and i said to matt okay so what's uh what's the scene? Like, what am I doing? And he kind of looked, looked a little bit like, well, um, and he's kind of <laughs> winging it in a way. Right. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. what is, what am I supposed to do? 
some kid walks into the class, sees, and, and Matt and Owen had already infiltrated this school as students, right? So when other students saw them, they kind of didn't really think, <laughs> oh, they, here are some guys that are filming a movie. There was no, like the, the school was fully operational when they shot in, was it just this one school? Maybe a couple schools, but basically this kid walks into the classroom and looks at me and she just goes, oh, we have a supply today, saying it <laughs> to Matt and Owen. And then all of a sudden, Matt just went into character and Jared uh, <laughs> behind the camera just kind of hid somewhere. <laughs> And these kids kind of roll in and I'm just sort of running a class. There was, <laughs> I didn't even know what the hell we were doing. There was no That's script, awesome. no idea at all. I was just me running a class and just being That's like, so all right, funny. well, I know what this, what he's doing with the movie. I don't know what he wanted to do with Mr. Bird, but here's me being a teacher. <laughs> it was fun. That's great. Oh yeah. Couple more questions. Let's do this one from uh, Acceptable Spot 8678. Any restaurant recommendations in Toronto? I'll be at TIFF and would like to try some good food while I'm there. Should we both have something you could recommend? Um, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I love, I'll say what, what uh, Matt and I have been going to our whole lives here. We've done a whole, all of our major writing sessions were done at um, a restaurant called Little India yeah. on Queen Street. Just a great family run business. Gotten to know them and just the best. If you want to, if you're any sort of butter chicken connoisseur comparing Indian flavors and stuff, this is the place, um, mm. you know, Banjara is great too, but there's something, uh, very unique about little India. Um, I also love, I always love taking people who have never been to house on parliament. It's a little out of the downtown area. It's like on, it's on parliament, but it's a pub that is like, you know, old, straight up English style pub, but there's not a lot of like TVs. It's not like a place where you go and you watch TV. It's like very dark and, you know, brown and books and mahogany and, you know, you get bangers and mash and just really good kind of like high end pub fare. And I'm just, I'm always in the mood for that sort of stuff. I, uh, I keep a, uh, Google maps list of places that I want to go and house on parliament is saved because one of the people in my Twitch chat, one of my mods, said that it's their favorite burger ever. <laughs> the Snake River Farms oh. Wagyu Beef Burger. So I will be there to try it for sure. Mm. Yeah, you know, I went to the Rivoli and was actually impressed with their food. I thought the calamari <laughs> was really great. and uh, Oh, they've got great food there. Yeah, the other appies and stuff that I had there were great. The restaurant is a little bit different than... I mean, the the back, like, room, which is their live venue space, very easily gets sort of, like, just classified as a mid to low kind of almost dive uh, live venue space, even though it's probably better than that. Like, it, it's it's got great sound. You can have proper shows there, but it's small, and it doesn't really look like anything crazy. But the restaurant is much higher class than people would think. And that definitely we don't really play up in our show that they have a great restaurant that all their food is very eatable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Good pad thai. Yeah, <laughs> the pad thai episode. 
I had uh, I had some pizza at a place called North of Brooklyn. Oh, I love North of Brooklyn. It was delicious. Yeah, I I wound up going there because of the Dave Portnoy <laughs> little Toronto tour he did, and that was his. Oh yeah, I think his highest rated one. I had it. It was amazing. All right, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> pizza review time. One bite. Everybody knows the rules. Now, what do they do here? Like, what? Why are they giving it to me like this? Look at this. Hey, what's this? Get this. Go around. And shoot this guy. <laughs> Oh, hey, what's it. up? It's so yeah, infectious. Such it's funny, such, such a good funny content character. to watch. Yeah, I would love to meet the guy. He's He seems like such a character. And I guess lastly, I'll mention there's a place called Stormcrow, which is like a... I've heard of it. Yeah, Stormcrow Manor. So this is their third location. They had two locations in Vancouver that unfortunately closed down. And so this is their last remaining one and so it's in the i think in the gay district in toronto and they took over this huge like ancient gigantic uh several story mansion house thing (laughs) that's like kind of like a heritage home or something and they turned it into this this restaurant nerd bar and all of the insane like nerd shit just displayed on the wall and like memorabilia from like movies and they'll have like VHSs of like cartoons playing and you can just grab a board game and play it. Um, I will say their cocktails are very way too sweet, very sugary. Like, you know, some people are into that. Not my thing, but their food is really good. They've got really great food there and the vibe and just like exploring the place. Like when you go in, you get a table you're immediately going to want to just walk around and look at, just explore around the entire place as you're there. So that's a good spot. Oh, that's um, fun. And yeah, it has its origins, yeah, I cool. guess, in Vancouver, but not unfortunately not in Vancouver anymore. Uh, so yeah, Alex will hit some of these places up. Yeah, sure. I was not expecting to hear bangers and mash in there. <laughs> it's from oh, my yeah. hands. Yeah. yeah. It's a, there's a lot of Irish pubs and stuff. Awesome, yeah. Sweet. Uh, one more question. Should we do one more here from uh, Dab Sloth one seven seven one zero? Sorry, this question is for Jay. Hey Jay, I absolutely love your inclusion in Nirvana, the band, the show. And I have to ask, what is the most difficult thing about creating a score for a movie or show like in Nirvana, the band, the show, or your work on the Kid Detective? Well, scoring for Nirvana, the band, is easy because it's you know also my show. Like every everything we do in it is sort of like an idea of, of Matt and I's like it's, it's the synthesis of, of what we want to see happen. And Mm. what the joke is, is something that we have in our mind's eye. So scoring that is easy because I'm almost, I'm my own boss there. I have to just get it good enough, but the scoring for another director or like, you know, even, even Matt's Blackberry, you know what I mean? Like there is a Mm -hmm. element of, needing to really keep your hand on what the director wants to do with something. And you really need to understand, like if you weren't in the room when you conceive of this idea, you might not know what that sort of invisible light at the end of the tunnel is or where it is. And so you have to, through a series of just discussions and throwing out different adjectives and little you know, some sort of code words to just sort of get you guys closer to seeing the same thing that doesn't exist yet and then creating it. And so that, that, that that's challenging, but it, it's only challenging at the beginning. And 
yeah, it's just it's a lot different when you get to score your own stuff. We did a little cartoon too that I did a lot of scoring on. We did three episodes. I and love you can it. Still watch them on there. It's called Matt and Bird Break Loose. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, can't forget about and that. And it's pretty much a uh, uh, a a different execution of the Matt and Jay world. It's kind of like Nirvana the band reskinned as a children's bedtime story, and it's clean, <laughs> but it's still very dark and Machiavellian. And there's a lot of uh, scoring for that. Was just that was actually just one of my favorite projects too, because I got to really uh, do a lot of I. I kind of storyboarded the whole thing and got to draw us and make all our performances. And there's something when, when you have that much authorship over making everything for that and like scoring it is just a dream. Whereas maybe, you know, there are points in kid detective where I'm, you know, sending stuff in and Evan is, is still being like, ah, you know, it's not quite, you know, mm-hmm. dreadful meets this enough. And, and I'm just going, man. But then you just get infected by this determination of just like, what What am I not getting right about this? And then you hit it again. And those victories are, are very sweet when you finally hit them. Mm. That's dope. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, guess, I guess finally, I just want to ask. So I, I know that uh, Matt and Bird Break Loose was kind of like a make it during COVID thing. Will we be potentially seeing any more of that? Is there any possibility or... I don't think Amazon is making any more of it as is, and mm-hmm. it's actually okay with us. Like we, we liked doing it like that, but we'd love to do, to kind of reimagine it again. We still definitely want to, there's a lot of things on the table right now that we're kind of juggling, but um, mm-hmm. we're still trying to keep an iron in the fire to make more of this cartoon or a version of it where maybe it's still like in the style of a children's story type of thing but we're allowed to get pretty wild with it like Mm -hmm. it's not actually for the kids it's it's we can we can drop a couple f-bombs if we want Mm -hmm. um it's the same way nirvana the band is very wild and dangerous yet really moment to moment we're not fully gratuitously taking advantage of being edgy it just we we give ourselves the slack where if you want if we need to go there because something works narratively or just for fun we can yeah unrestricted um and that would be the ultimate way to to do a a cartoon version that would be very fun to do okay dope those are some awesome questions awesome answers uh and i guess it's time to start wrapping up the show there's a film recommendation i already spoiled it last episode because i wanted people to catch it in theaters because neon's doing a re-release old boy 2003 so we'll be talking about that next episode along with some other stuff so if you don't want to be spoiled for old boy 2003 watch it before the next episode and i am highly suggesting that you do because it's a great movie and it can be spoiled you don't want to hear us talk about it before you watch it you definitely want to watch this movie uh before we talk about it be careful that you don't accidentally watch the 2013 remake. That's a very bad film. <laughs> and uh, I made a huge, long, very uh, detailed review <laughs> comparing the two films. If you just search <laughs> YMS Old Boy. If you want to support the show, go to sardonicast.com, sign up for premium. It's only $2 a month. You'll get these episodes early as they're edited. Same with patreon.com slash sardonicast. Also, we got merch, link in the description. Uh, also we got a Sardonicast highlights channel subscribe to that on YouTube and while you're at it subscribe to the actual channel the Sardonicast channel on YouTube hit the bell you'll get notified when these come out 
thank you so much for joining us, Jay. That was awesome. Would you like to yeah. Thank plug you guys. any uh, socials or anything that people should be following you on or anything you want to promote? Sure. The only thing I, I really use is Instagram, and it's just uh, at Jay McCarroll, J-A-Y-M-C-C-A-R-R-O-L. And you'll see what I'm up to on there. And I'll hopefully when we get some more very concrete stuff for the NTB fans, I'll be able to uh, update everybody on what's happening there. NTBTS. Fun stuff. <laughs> NTBTS. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Awesome. Not to be taken seriously. Mm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.